Welcome to the Food, Family and Friends podcast, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. Now it's time to join your host, Vanessa Baxter. Today's episode, I'm interviewing Eric and Sonia. Eric and Sonia run Main Course, which is here in Auckland, in New Zealand, and it is a fantastic cooking school setup. It's in a beautiful old building, a heritage building, which is just gorgeous. And as soon as people enter their cooking school, they feel at ease and they feel, um, I don't know, there's something just beautiful about the environment. And Eric and Sonia are similar. They're just the most beautiful people. They're welcoming. They've got great smiles. Sonia has a very, very, very cute and distinctive giggle. And people love them. And I love them because they opened their arms and their venue to me when I first started wanting to do cooking classes myself. And although we're kind of in competition with each other, they have been very generous with uh, giving me advice along the way and supporting me by referring people. And I do the same for them. So we all love food. We're passionate foodies. And uh, we're prepared to share and be sort of join in a co-opetition environment rather than be complete competitors and not chat with each other. So I'm very excited about having them in the Podcast New Zealand studio today. They're very entertaining. I think you'll have a little bit of a laugh when you listen to this episode. It starts with Eric explaining uh, his life and how he eventually met Sonia in Southeast Asia. They've had many trips and journeys and lived in lots of different countries and they share some of their experiences as well as some of the experiences of teaching people to cook in their cooking school. So stay tuned. I hope you enjoy this episode and uh, we'll touch base again at the end. Thanks for listening. Hi there. Welcome to the Podcast New Zealand studio, Eric and Sonia. It's so lovely to have you in here. And here we are sitting here just so quietly with our cups of tea, which is quite different to how we normally meet, which is surrounded by usually uh, dirty crockery, actually, isn't it? Down in Main Course. Absolutely. <laughs> Something more hectic, yeah. In fact, the last time I think I saw you, Sonia, you're actually helping, like we were helping each other in a function. And we both were sort of had our hands plunged in dirty crockery at the end of the function, having a giggle. Yes. Yeah. Yes, unfortunately, that's part of the trade, isn't it? It's the cleaning up. Yeah, so welcome. And um, it's really exciting to be able to interview you guys because I think there's going to be uh, some great stories come out in this podcast. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you ended up running a business which is really uh, engaging Kiwis, teaching them all about food and cooking from the very young to the complete inexperienced, to probably some experienced people as well. So, Eric, take it away. Hi. Well, thanks for that, Vanessa. I don't know where to start after that great build-up. My origins in cooking actually um, started when I joined the Army at the tender age of 16 in 1970. Oh, where were you? Um, I started in the UK, and then I went to Germany, uh, and I was one of these fortunate people. They sent me all over the world. I was in the States, in Canada lots of other places and some undesirable places, but that's really where my interest in in cooking began. And then I was fortunate in the army that I, as well as become a qualified civilian chef, I I did my teaching qualifications Ah. so that I could teach in a polytech. 
However, I never taught in a polytech because when I left the army, I was hired uh, as an operations manager by an international catering company and promptly got sent all over Southeast Asia. I was in uh, Hong Kong, in Seoul, in Korea, in Manila, Jakarta, Bangkok. And then I got sent to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and I built a cookery school there. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, so that was great fun. And um, that's where I met Sonia, actually. She was oh. on her way back through to New Zealand from the UK. And uh, she started helping me develop all the curriculum and write the courses then. So we did that for four years. Well, it was probably lucky you met her because it scares me when I'm thinking about army food. So you'd better <laughs> enlighten the listeners because when I think oh. army food, I think huge big pots of kind of mash and frozen stuff. Was it better than mm, that? Or? Oh, much better than that. I think that's a bit of a a bit of an unearned reputation from years gone by. And maybe movies. Yeah, I would say I would say the armed forces are pretty good these days and have done for, for many a year actually. Anyway, I, I we then came to New Zealand, Sonia and I, and we have two businesses now. One is main course where we teach adults to cook every night at six o'clock. <laughs> and we, we offer twenty eight different programs on that, ranging from Mexican to Vietnamese to bread making, you name it and, and we do it. And our other business is Kids Kitchen, where we teach children how to cook and we have three different age groups. We have a five to eight, and that's all about um, discovery. And then we have an, an eight to 11, and that's all about creating things. And then finally, the sort of 12 to 15-year-olds is all about cooking to impress. So we just thought in today's busy lifestyle with, with mum at work and dad at work, you know, the children don't learn how to cook like they did in days gone by traditionally. Mm. So we have a bit of a... A social obligation, I think, to teach children how to cook. Yeah, look, I totally agree with that. As you know, I also do the kids' cooking classes, and there's certainly room for it all around the world, I think, for exactly the reasons that you've spelt out. And I think even in school and uh, with someone else that I've interviewed, we discussed the fact that home economics has really changed from when probably the three of us in this room were younger and we really did genuinely learn to cook to now it's much more scientific. They're learning about ingredients and they're learning in a different way, but it's definitely more scientific rather than rudimentals of of how to cook themselves some meals at home. It is, and I I think TV programs have played their part there, uh, Vanessa, when they see things like Junior Master Chef and and My Kitchen Rules, because when we have the groups of children come in, they, they, they want to do some pretty technical stuff straight away. It's not basic, you know? No, I know. I have the same problem. In fact, I have parents also saying, but why are you only teaching them to do that? And it's like, well, you need to know the basics. The kids need to know the basics, but they can't just come in and make a souffle without understanding what an egg's all about and how to separate an egg correctly. And it's quite tricky, isn't it, to meet expectations of parents and kids from the reality TV world? Yeah, well, we just throw the parents out and worry about the children. (laughs) (laughs) I might come down for some lessons on that, actually. (laughs) And Sonia, welcome also to the show. Tell us a little bit about your background, because obviously you met Eric in Southeast Asia, which he's just explained, but but what were you doing? Sure. Well, um, my parents, uh, they traveled a lot. Um, my, uh, my father was a, um, he was a surgeon and he worked for the Red Cross. So we ended up traveling to some uh, war-torn areas. Um, I actually remember uh, cooking for the family when I was about, uh, oh, I must have been about 11 or 12. 
that's when I started cooking for our family because um, my parents split up. But uh, and so we ended up with the, my dad, and um, so somebody had to cook, and ended up being me. Um, and uh, that was that was my first experience, and it was it was great fun. <laughs> how did you learn how to cook at the age of eleven? I mean, who taught you what to do? Um, well, well, we were in a, a third world country, so therefore we had um, servants. Yep. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> had staff. Yeah, to help. yeah, yeah. So um, it was always very helpful. Um, they were teaching us how to cook, and. Um, and making sure that I didn't get anything too wrong. Oh, wow. So that was really good. Um, it was um, more like squatting on the floor and chopping yep. things on yep. <laughs> with your hands. So which country like were you in at that point? At that point, I was in Pakistan. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, it is. Um, and then um, uh, then my mother remarried and we ended up back in, uh, she ended up marrying an oil guy who also traveled a lot. So, um, yeah, I ended up in Indonesia for a while. Um, and so, did you live in Jakarta as well? Yes. Oh, so did I. So, all three yeah. of us have lived in Jakarta. Oh, Eric hasn't lived in Jakarta. He's, he was in KL. Oh, I, I thought you said Indonesia. No, I did. I worked there, yeah. Oh, you yeah. worked there yeah. briefly. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Yeah. There you go. Crazy city. Yeah. Yeah, we could do a whole other podcast <laughs> on Indonesia. <laughs> oh, true. I love it, eh? I yeah, really absolutely. Miss yeah. Rendang. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite <laughs> Indonesian dish, the old beef rendang. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I think with um, with Southeast Asian food, I, I fell in love with it in Indonesia. It's uh, We went traveling. We we borrowed one of the parents' cars and um, just <gasps> took his driver and he drove wow. us the length of uh, Java. Yep. Down into Bali, uh, we drove around Bali and then came back up the other side of Java. It so was did you fantastic. get the ferry over from Java to Bali? Yeah, with the car. With the car. Oh my goodness, that that's is incredibly <laughs> brave. Yeah, wow, yeah. that's awesome, Sonia. Yeah, well, the thing is, I was, um, um, I was, I think it was my first year at uni at that stage, so I, I didn't have too much in the way of money, but we had a car and a driver, <laughs> and yeah. free petrol, and so, food's cheap. <laughs> yeah, and food is so cheap, and we were staying in places that cost like a dollar a night. And mm. the driver was staying somewhere else, which was probably $10 a night. Um, <laughs> and he thought we were hilarious. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Were you staying in lesser places than the driver? Absolutely. I love that. We were backpacking. Oh, good on you. Yeah. And so what for, do you remember the food that you were eating at the time there? Well, a lot of it was, um, it was well, rundang, of course. Yeah. Um, we had, that, you know, all the different Sarte. goring things, nasi goring, uh, mi goring, um, and... Uh, all the, the soups that they do there. Soto ayam. Oh, yes. They are so fantastic and so full of different flavors. Mm. And I, I think that, that's what um, really educated my palate for um, Southeast Asian foods. And uh, then totally. later on, I came back. Uh, well, after university, I went to um, Switzerland and trained in hospitality. Switzerland gave me a real good taste for Europe and then and really um, made me understand European food and how it worked. Because that's where I did my chef training as well. And then I came back through um, Malaysia because my parents were based there at the time. And um, I was just going to say hello to them because I hadn't seen them for a few years. And uh, ended up getting a job and meeting Eric there. Did you get a job for Eric? No. Like with no. Eric? Eric was there already. He set up, the, he built the school yeah. and they needed somebody to write the courses for yeah. the school. Because um, uh, it was military retraining to civilian life and... They were doing hospitality. They had a huge hospitality school. Fantastic. So that was great. So yeah. I set up all their courses, wrote them all for them. It's all like bespoke courses yes. just for them. And then um, and then headed back to New Zealand and, this, and had Eric in tow at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> she dragged me here, kicking and screaming. <laughs> so he said, I've never been to New Zealand before. Why not? <laughs> but why New Zealand? 
um, my stepfather is from New Zealand. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so for and family this is where I went you. to university. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So to me, New Zealand's home always has been. So yeah, and it's got great produce. So if you're into Absolutely. food, it's a pretty cool country <laughs> to live in. So back to your cooking school in Malaysia. Who were your clientele? Were they expat clientele, or was it for students in Malaysia? For for students in Malaysia, um, but all of my staff were local staff. Mm. Um, so I trained them along with Sonia uh, and a few others. But um, the challenging part was when it came to Ramadan each year. And I can tell you, I don't recommend running a cookery school during the month of Ramadan. No. But, but <laughs> the, the classes still went ahead. Right. Um, but all the food got thrown away. It's, you know, right. no one could test the food. No one could eat the food. No. And um, it, it, it was a very strange situation to be in for four weeks. Yeah, that would be a very strange yeah. scenario. And people yeah. very tired. Your staff would have been very, very tired. Very tired, sort of 38 degrees. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, not even able to swallow your own saliva. Yeah, no. So, I remember, yeah, that yes, was, I remember that, was, that six years in Jakarta myself. That was tough, but mm. then we made up for it the other 11 months of the year. We didn't <laughs> stop eating. I guess on reflection, maybe you should have just closed the cooking school for a month well, there, Eric. I wanted to. I wanted to just <laughs> go on holiday somewhere, but it, it didn't happen It anyway. didn't quite happen, <laughs> yeah. never mind. So moving on to Auckland and to your cooking school that is here, which is fantastic, and we share the space at times, which is awesome. And you've been, yeah. what I love about you two, was from the very first day of meeting you, which I can't quite remember how we met. Oh, I do remember. Eugene Hamilton recommended that I give you a call and you were just so immediately welcoming and lovely and, you know, really supportive of me, even though in a way we're in competition. Um, but, you know, I think that you have the same belief that I have, which is it's co-opetition, not competition. And I just love that about you instantly and that you were willing to share the space with me and share your ideas and, you know, hopefully vice versa. We've helped each other along the way a little bit. And I'm sure that that also comes through for customers, that they feel, you know, genuinely loved and uh, nurtured when they come to learn how to cook, you know, that you're not judging them on being silly that they don't yet know how to cook, especially I'd imagine adults that come that don't know could feel intimidated, like, are they going to laugh because I don't know how to wash my rice yet or I don't know how to use a knife. So um, I think that's, you know, really commendable. But from your perspective, you know, from behind the scenes, are you amazed at how amazing people are at cooking or are you amazed at the opposite side that people come in and really genuinely as adults still actually do not know the basics? I think it's a bit of both. I, I think uh, when it comes to the cooking side of things, like the savoury stuff, I, uh, people t uh, tend to not know the basics. Um, however, like we do, when we do like decorating stuff, people go mental and they come up with these amazing designs that I wouldn't even really consider like we um, had at Christmas time, we had that brownie one, Eric, if you remember. And, yep. and yep. people came up with these amazing, um, it's like Santa with his sleigh and all the reindeer. On the brownie. <laughs> out, of, out of brownies. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was just, it was just uh, like totally blew me away. I didn't know what, what that was all about, but it just, it just came out of their heads. They, they did really well. Yeah. I, I think really the, the, the sort of, clients that we get through main course fall into one or two categories those that can't cook and and that's why they come to us of course and those that think they can cook and probably can cook a little bit but 
they don't know the the theory behind things or the rationale behind things. So they've always done something a certain way, but they don't know why, why they've done it that way or why it works that way. So I think when they come to us and they watch us uh, do a demonstration along with the explanation, you can see the penny dropping or the lights going on, and then they realize that that's why it has to be done in, in a certain manner. And why they actually do it in that manner in the first place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the beauty of practical hands-on workshops, isn't it? Because if you're just reading a recipe book, you're just following the instructions. But the next time you go to cook it, you're going to have to follow the instructions again because it hasn't sunk in why. So you can't remember something just based on that unless you've got, you know, a photographic memory. And I mean, we were talking about that before the podcast, weren't we? You know, the more you cook something and the more you understand why... Uh, then it just becomes natural. But if you never are told why something, like I think, you know, you cook your onions, you sweat them down until they're soft, don't add the tomatoes too quickly or the onions won't continue to sweat because of the acid in the tomatoes. But if no one tells you that and they're in a hurry, they're just going to quickly put the onions on, hope five minutes is enough, chuck the tomatoes in and then wonder why they've got crunchy onions in their sauce. Sure. Um, But no cookbook really, or who's going to read a cookbook to get that information unless they're obsessed about it? So I think... Yeah, you know, I mean, classes I, are imperative. Really. On our on our basic skills course, we actually what we're actually doing without the clients realizing is we are teaching them skills and techniques, mm. and the dishes that come out as a result of using our skills skills and techniques, they're actually just the byproduct. So yeah. you're not actually teaching the dishes; you're teaching them how you can actually complete those dishes so that once once they have a sort of a basic foundation of, of some good skills and techniques, then they could follow any recipe with, with, with confidence, I think. Yeah, it's just even understanding the language, isn't it? Because it's a whole new world. For it some is. Totally. Yeah. 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 Like, like creaming, yeah. creaming something. It's like, what does oh, that mean? What on earth does that mean? Or even <laughs> yeah. saute or yeah. blanche. Uh, yep. Like yep. if you, no one's ever told you what blanche means, True. I mean, really, it just comes naturally to the three of us sitting in this room. But if you haven't had any what, training. What does blanche mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. You were trained um, in the army. <laughs> oh, I, oh I thought it was a girl's name. <laughs> no, I think as well, uh, one of the biggest surprises that people have with us is that you can produce a really restaurant a good restaurant quality meal at home three courses 45 to 50 minutes mm. and and people just have this misconception that cooking's a chore it's a bind and it's something that has to be done and it takes forever and and we try and sort of dispel that and just show them using simple, easily sourced ingredients so you can put together a really good quality meal. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fantastic. And, you know, yeah. it, it is it is offering people, it's a need, and you're providing the solution. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And you obviously love what you're doing, and you're doing it mm-hmm. together. Does that have its pros and cons, working together and... <laughs> <laughs> it just never seems to end. <laughs> <laughs> because you go home and you've got your own children, and then you start again at home. Well, it's, yeah, I, I cook at work, and I clean all the stoves, and then I go home and do the same. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's a bit life when you're in our industry. And my daughter keeps turning around and saying to us, our daughter, sorry, she keeps turning around and saying to us, oh, can we stop talking about work now? <laughs> because it's just constant food. Oh, true. Mm. Yeah. Oh, what are we doing at Main Course? What are we doing for Kids Kitchen? And she's like, you know, she's not interested. <laughs> How well, old is she? She's nine. And does she enjoy Going cooking? on about 20. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, does she like to cook? She does, yeah. But on her own terms and when she's ready. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> does she like to eat? 
She does, actually. She's, yeah. she's good at trying things. Yeah, she's pretty mm. adventurous. Yeah, fairly adventurous, yeah. 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 Uh, when she was younger, she, she loved blue cheese and olives, and now she doesn't anymore. But and then, mm. you know, she just, they go through stages, kids. And, and we found that um, if we get her to cook with certain ingredients, she's more likely to, to try them. Absolutely. Then if you just present it to her on a plate. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. getting her involved and getting her very hands on, it always helps to, with, you know, getting her to try it in the end. Yeah. You know, I, t- I, that's, I yeah. totally agree with that. When I was teaching uh, pre-primary in uh, Vietnam, yeah. it was exactly the same. The number of parents who came and said that the kids were far more willing to try. Now, we weren't cooking it there, but we were sitting down and it was a more social occasion because all the other kids are sitting around eating together. They didn't want to feel that they were missing out by not eating the peas when they could see all the other kids were eating the peas. And then all of a sudden... They're a pea eater. <laughs> and it was because mum wasn't saying you need to eat your peas. Absolutely. You know, it had become a different, it had become more <laughs> enjoyable to do so. So I think it's, you know, important and imperative that kids are involved from, this, from the start. Absolutely. Even, yeah. even just pre- prepping the vegetables and things like that. And they love it, don't they? Oh, they do. Yeah. I yeah. think Quinn, uh, our daughter Quinn, she was three when she first started chopping mushrooms with, you know, with a table knife. Mm. And... Um, she would eat mushrooms then. <laughs> now she doesn't prep them. She doesn't eat them. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's a stage. Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's like on on some of the kids' classes where they make um, either fresh goujons of fish or fresh chicken nuggets. Mm. Yes. And you show them how to pannier something. So they, you know, the flour, the egg wash, the breadcrumbs. And they do this and then they understand that, you know, you need the flour for the egg to stick, the egg for the breadcrumbs to stick. And then they cook them and they taste them and, and they're blown away with how nice they are. And they say things like they're much better than you get at KFC or McDonald's or Or whatever. at home because mum unfortunately buys home, them frozen. from the frozen. Yeah, sick. so, <laughs> I mean, we have a thing at main course and we actually practice it at home as well. We don't have a microwave and we... we don't use a tin opener because we don't use tins because mm. the the minute that you go to open a tin anything in a tin has been processed absolutely the only thing i use that is tinned is tomatoes do you not use any tin tomatoes Ooh. or do you what use the I, ones I, with the ring press at the top so you don't need the can opener? Oh, that's a good one no that's a technicality <laughs> yeah <laughs> i use tin tomatoes at home though i mean i, I try during especially during the season they, they've been so cheap re, uh, just recently oh, yeah. last month not so much this month yeah, it was a good season it was a tomatoes. really good season mm. for tomatoes and I, I tend to either just take them whole stick them in bags and chuck them in the freezer and you can just use them for sauce then Oh, or a make tip. a sauce and then just chuck them in the freezer. Whichever way you want to go, it works either way. Yeah, so, but, but I, it. it's no bother really sticking them I, in a plastic bag and chucking them in the freezer. No. I, I just think That's it can a really change. Good tip. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got a, a, an older daughter as well, and you know, if you have a microwave at home, and I'm not criticizing people that do, but you become so used to using it, and you purchase half of the food stuff that you purchase is. is specific to go in the microwave and I think if you don't have one it changes your purchasing and your eating habits oh totally I mean I have a microwave but the only thing I use shame it for on shame on me <laughs> the only thing I use it for re-heating. is defrosting no defrosting yeah. if I've yeah. forgotten yeah. to pull out something from the freezer uh, like you know um, I've frozen some minced meat or something yeah, yeah. and I'm like oh my goodness I really do need to make a, a dinner and I need to make it quickly mm. and then I'll pop it into defrost I don't like defrosting it in there 
but at least it's there if I really need it in a hurry. So I do have one, but it's sort of a waste of space, really. Yeah. And it does take up quite a lot of space mm. in your kitchen. It does. Yeah. I think it's great, actually. Once you get used to not using mm. one, then yeah. that's it. Then you, you get more organised. You yeah. do. Mm. Yes, you do. You remember to take your meds out so you don't have to be frosted. <laughs> <laughs> How about vegetables, though? What 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 is... Because a lot of people will use a microwave to steam vegetables. Do you just steam them on the stove top? Steam them on the stove, yeah. either just steam them. in a steamer or, or in a bamboo basket, yeah. 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 Actually, the only thing I miss it for is, like, reheating food. Like, yes. leftovers and that. Cause, uh, it is quick and easy. It is. Yeah, 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 yeah fair yeah. enough. Because my daughter loves rice and curry. Don't know where she gets that from. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, like, to reheat rice and curry the next day um, on a stovetop, mm. it's too easy to burn the rice and the curry. So, yeah, you have to do it real slow. And, yeah, yeah. that's a bit of a pain. So it would have been easier for I have a microwave for that. But other than that. <laughs> She's not getting one. Uh, yeah. We gather the <laughs> <laughs> We gather there's a boss in the room on the microwave issue. It's, it's really funny how, like, you know, we've all got used to using gas barbecues. Yep. And uh, at Christmas time, I sort of lit in my fire pit in the garden. I threw in a bag of charcoal and I did these lamb kebabs over charcoal on Christmas Day just with a bit of parsley and squeeze a fresh lemon. And what a difference it makes. Mm. You know, so we've even forgotten to cook how to cook on charcoal, really. Well, that's how the South African barbecue is, isn't it? It's Absolutely, it's yeah. It's awesome. It's fantastic. It's so yeah. fantastic. It is, yeah. yeah. I think the coal we got was from a South African I supplier. think it was, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, start- I'm starting to feel hungry now. I know, me too. I can't think what that's called. What's the South African... Is it, is it a kraal? No, a bra. Bra, is it? Is it? I think it is. I couldn't possibly comment. Oh, none of us have been to South Africa. Mm, I, well, I look. We nearly moved to Johannesburg, so I've been there for two and a half days. But <laughs> I, don't I can't claim. I can't really claim. Our furniture was on the ground for longer than we were. <laughs> oh, very good. That's like passing through an airport and saying you've been to the country. I know. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't exactly live there. Anyway, oh dear. So, have you got any funny stories to to share? Can you think of a funny situation in one of your cooking classes or is that too on the spot to come up with something that quickly I don't know let me think um, without sort of embarrassing anyone <laughs> well they won't know <laughs> no, who they are <laughs> <laughs> they might <laughs> yeah I'm trying to think of, of sort of someone doing something completely ridiculous yeah, I mean they they have minor stuff ups they, we don't really have any majors and, and I think that's Which is probably due, a good thing. due to the fact that we watch them like hawks anyway but no <laughs> fair enough I mean they, they, they pay good money so you want them to have a, a nice meal you don't want them to have anything that's burnt or inedible um, but people do make just little silly mistakes I guess and they don't realise that they're doing them yeah, we were making pasta. I was making pasta the other day and um, with a group, and uh, this one group they put the pasta sheets interlap uh, overlapping, and when they did that, they um, they sort of stuck together, and then they yeah. tried to stick them through the machine, and it got stuck and oh. made a mess of the machine, and they t- they take about a week to dry out. Yeah, and they do. It's a bit of a pain. Um, so I, I went and got them a different cutter and and 
told them to be more careful, and they put another one through and did the exact same thing again. And I was like, ah! <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I've seen people do that with dumpling wrappers as well. So they yeah. roll their dumpling wrappers out. And because yeah. when you go and buy them, they're all in a stack, they think they can do the same. Mm-hmm. And they put the fresh ones all in a stack and then try to peel them off. And it's just not possible. <laughs> you just can't do that. Yeah. It, I, I can tell you what, children can make better ravioli than adults. They can. It's their little fingers. Yeah. That's amazing, isn't adults it? Adults yeah. really struggle making ravioli. Yeah. I think if we ever had child labour, that's what we should use them for. <laughs> <laughs> Ravioli and dumplings. I didn't right. Hear that. Uh, moving along. <laughs> I know. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> no, we just we tend to put ravioli on our pasta classes because the kids enjoy making it. They enjoy yep. eating it, and um, yeah, yeah, they, it's perfect. It works really well. Yeah, dumplings. They love dumplings as well. I think it's that yeah. whole sort of being able to fold and fill and and yeah. and pinch, and then they're really quick and easy to cook as well. So that's that. Absolutely. For their attention span, because that's the thing, isn't it? With kids' classes, you've got to move them along yeah. fairly quickly and keep Absolutely. them occupied, or otherwise they do get into trouble. Sword fights with <laughs> knives is never ideal. Ooh, we, I haven't had that. Have you had that? <laughs> we can't Don't mention, give them ideas we now. We can't mention that with what's going on at one of the schools. <laughs> oh, yes. Mm. That is, yeah, that's Very a bit sad. sad. <laughs> never mind. Yes. Oh, dear. School play gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, dear. <laughs> prop <laughs> yeah not to worry mm-hmm. with our props uh they are real knives i mean that's the thing isn't it? It, it i mean my husband does think i'm mad with the kids classes that i hand out real knives but i think it's really important that the kids do use a real knife and Absolutely. do realize how dangerous real knives are and how to handle it properly and how to be safe around it because otherwise if you're giving them something that isn't real then they're not actually learning how to use that and to be respectful of something, of a tool such as a knife. Yeah, I I fully agree with that. I think you have to, you know, allocate a certain amount of trust to the children. Mm. And, you know, we set up, we set up the tables, so there's placemats, cutlery, serviettes, chinaware, and we give them glassware, even just for their water as well. And it'd be easy just to fall into the trap and think, oh, I can get plastic cups or things like that. But, but they have to learn, you know, and, and uh, I think they are a bit more respectful then because if you drop a glass on the concrete floor, it will break. Whereas if you drop a, a plastic cup, it won't. So mm. we, we just try and let them do things. And I mean, I think my concern is, is not so much that they might cut themselves because they're pretty careful by yeah. and large, but it's if they burn themselves. Yeah. Which is why we like our new induction stoves because it's just about impossible for, for a child or an adult for that matter to burn themselves. Yeah, that's yes, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Yes, thank you, Bosch. Um. <laughs> but, you, but you can't flambe on them. <laughs> no, you can't no, flambe on them. <laughs> there's pros and cons to that too, but that's a whole other podcast also. <laughs> Hey, look, I think we could talk for hours, but we are going to finish this episode with a a little um, either-or group of questions. I've got 10 of them. Okay. So, you know, you're welcome to jump in there too, Sonia or Eric. You can answer these or you can both answer. Let's see. Let's see how we go. Fijoa or Kiwi? Definitely Kiwi. Fijoa. (laughs) Asia or Africa? Asia. Asia. (laughs) Bake or barbecue? Barbecue. Barbecue. (laughs) Brown or white bread? Brown. Brown, yeah. Chicken or pork? Pork. Pork. <laughs> dumpling or ravioli? Ooh, dumpling. dumpling. <laughs> <laughs> hangi or boil up? Oh, hangi. <laughs> yeah, I'll go hangi, yeah. <laughs> Chocolate or cake? Chocolate. Chocolate. 
herb or spice? Ooh, that's a tough it's one. It's a tough one, isn't it? Oh, both. <laughs> herb. Oh, what? How can you have life without <laughs> spices? Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the couple will be leaving arguing. <laughs> so far it was looking good until the second last question. Oh, no. Red wine or white wine? Red. Definitely red. Oh, there you go. So you can go home arguing about herbs and spices. I'm sure we're, there's more important things in we're life. Ba- we're back in harmony. <laughs> Have you got a favourite cookbook, guys? Anything by Rick Stein. Oh yeah, I love Rick Stein as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah uh, he's a, he's an honest chef, and he doesn't mess with his food. Mm. Unlike some, some yes, who we won't talk about. <laughs> we won't talk about no. <laughs> Guys, absolutely awesome to have you in. Thank you for giving us your time because I know you're super busy. But um, I'm sure the listeners have had a bit of a laugh along with us today in this episode, and it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you as always. And I look forward to seeing you back down at Main Course. Thanks, you're Vanessa. welcome. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Food, family and friends podcast proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com.